morning. It is good to be with you, and we're glad that you're with us. We'll open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Very quickly, we're going to soon be looking at a verse that kind of introduces our study for this morning. In ancient Corinth, Paul preached Jesus Christ. And as he preached Jesus Christ, we know that many... Let's go back. Get this going. Okay. We know that many Corinthians, having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, believed and were baptized. And as Paul writes to these saints in the letter of 1 Corinthians, we are told that they are saints by calling... And they're saints by calling because they have been sanctified, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, they were far from being saints previously. But when they responded to the call of the gospel, when they heard the message and received it and believed it and obeyed it, the Lord called them. And he called them to walk a new life, to walk anew as God's saints. Now, do you recognize, do you acknowledge that all Christians are sanctified in Christ? Do you believe that? Maybe a better question is this. When you look in the mirror, when you look in the mirror at yourself, Do you see yourself as one of God's saints? And perhaps another question to go with that one is this. Do others see you living your life every day as a sanctified life? True sainthood does not occur, it does not happen when a person is so-called officially canonized because he was some exceptional person in his lifetime. That's not true sainthood as taught in the Holy Scriptures of our God and Father. God is the one who sanctifies. God is the one who separates what is holy and what is sacred And it is God who transforms a sinner into a saint. Sanctification, that is sanctification in Christ, is an ongoing process. And it is a process where God continues to sanctify you and me entirely as his workmanship and as his people. So we want to talk about the idea of increasing our sanctification this morning, particularly in our our theme of growing or maturing in the year 2021. And so when you were baptized, when we were baptized and washed away our sins in Christ, we were sanctified. By God. God has set us aside as someone that is sacred now. Someone that is holy. And that's where you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. A very familiar verse. 
As you talk about the, the conversion and the transformation of the kingdom citizens in Corinth. And so Paul writes to them and reminds them. He says in verse 9 and 10 talks about a number of sins that will keep an individual out of heaven. And he says such were some of you. They weren't saints before, but they are now. He is such worse some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. And so these Corinthian brethren of ours were sanctified. They were justified in the name of the Lord. When? Well, when they were washed. They and we, together, we, are, we wash away our sins when we were baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. And clearly the Bible brings that out. The New Testament teaches this. In the text that uh, Bill pointed out this, this morning, as we are reminded of how special it is to be able to partake of the body and the blood of Christ and the communion of His Supper, We see there in Acts 2.38 that those individuals were told what they need to do to be saved. They need to repent and they need to be baptized. And if they would do that, their sins would be forgiven. They would receive the gift. And this gift is for all generations to come who hear that message and obey as well. And so, once cleansed from the defilements of our sins, once we do that through an obedient faith, Because we are called out of this world. We're called out of darkness. We're called out of corruption. We are now sanctified. God is the one who's done that. He took a sinner and provided the means that we can become someone who is holy to him. And God has the power to do that. His way. For example, in Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3 It is during the time of the remnant, and there are a number of prophecies that are expressed and revealed in this book of the Old Testament. But in Zechariah chapter 3, I want to read the first seven verses. And he says, then he showed me Joshua. And so God showed Zechariah, Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now this is a vision. That God is revealing to the prophet. And what he sees, he sees Joshua, the high priest in that day, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan, so Satan's in this vision as well. Satan standing at at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. And again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. And then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. 
And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house, and also have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. You have a heavenly scene here that depicts Joshua, the high priest of that day, and he is covered in filth. But God removes that filth and adorns him with these festal robes and now challenges him to say, if you will follow me, if you will listen, obey me, he says, this is where you will be and this is how you will glorify me. Judah and Jerusalem had suffered the consequences of their sins. So that's why they were sent into captivity you know, by the hand of the Babylonians, but now God has brought them back. You're in the time of the remnant, the time of rebuilding and returning. And what does Satan do? Satan is standing nearby just waiting to point his finger at the people of God, to accuse them, to blame them for all their corruption and all their sins. But God purified, God refined Jerusalem and Judah, and the Aaronic priesthood. And just as God did that for his purposes, he can wash your sins. He can wash my sins so that we become what? So that we become a holy priesthood of Jesus Christ. God's truth. God's word of truth is what sanctifies, and it's in that truth that Christ's disciples, Christians, are sanctified. Now, our washing away sin through our obedient act, our act of faith, of baptism, is not a deed of righteousness, our own righteousness. It's not something that we can boast about, something that we can brag to God before. Oh, look what I did, God. I was baptized. No, it's not some great deed of our own righteousness. But rather, it is God's mercy granting us an opportunity that we can be washed. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes to the evangelist and says, concerning our Savior, He saved us. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Through baptism, yes, our sins are washed away by the power of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary's cross, we have atonement already made. And if you will by faith repent to be baptized, we have the promise, the sure promise. He says, I will wash away your sins. I will erase that from your account and I will remember those sins no more. That's God's power. Just as God could take Joshua the high priest in in the day of Zechariah, the nation, the city of Jerusalem, and he could cleanse them and make them something holy, 
God can do that to us. And he does. And so to refuse to be baptized as Jesus commands is simply to reject God's gift. And to refuse to to be baptized as Jesus has commanded is also to reject God's workmanship of sanctification. In Christ, in Christ, we become new creatures of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, If there... If anyone is in Christ, well, how do we enter Christ? Well, Galatians 3 says you're baptized into Christ and clothed through Christ. By faith, you obey. And so if anyone is in Christ, he says, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. New things have come. A change has occurred. A transformation has occurred. And so this burying of our old man of sin in baptism is the beginning point. It is the initial event of the new man's personal sanctification. But our sanctification, though, is a continual process. It is a process of us working together with God, transforming us in accord to His image of holiness. Baptism cleanses us. Baptism frees us from our past sins. And so that the bondage of that guilt is no longer has to be carried. But it alone, baptism alone, does not make us complete. That in and of itself is not everything that we need in Christ. And so we are challenged, for example, in Peter's epistle, his first epistle there in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, you know, we are challenged to be holy. And to be holy as whom? He said, well, be holy as your father. That's, that's, that's the measure. That's the standard. Don't be, don't be holy like one another. No, be holy as your father. And so beginning our reading there in verse 13, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. To be holy as our Heavenly Father takes a lot of work. It takes us exercising personal discipline of our actions. And what's interesting to me is there in verse 15, and well, how, how holy am I, am I to be? Well, he says, well, you need to be holy in all of your behavior. Not just some. Not just part. So that, you know, just, you know, not, okay, you be holy in your worship, but you don't have to be holy in your, in, in, at work. Well, no. He says, you need to be holy in all your behavior. So that takes exercise. That takes work. That takes effort to do that. 
And as obedient children, we are reminded here that you know, it does not include following the worldly lust. I, I'm, I put to death the old man, and I'm to keep the old man dead. So no, obedient children are not going to follow. They're not going to listen to the worldly ways. They're going to listen to their father. But what's interesting to me here is the idea of what, what, what does it take to do that? Well, our spiritual goal, obviously, is to be holy. But that's not going to happen accidentally, is it? That's not going to happen by being negligent. In verse 13, he says, prepare your minds. Or another way, another way of saying it, train your mind. Train it. Romans, in chapter 12, talks about renewing the mind according to the will of God. And so the goal is, is we're to be holy. It's a process. Yes, I was sanctified at baptism. And as I'm, as I'm raised to walk a new life from that watery grave, sanctification is a process for me to get all of my behavior in line with His holiness. That takes some time, doesn't it? That takes some effort of us training our thoughts, you know, preparing our minds so that they are sober. We have sober minds, always. We have minds that are Father-centered and are heaven-bound. And the reason why? Because our Lord's aim for us, the Lord's aim for you and the Lord's aim for me is this, that He wants to establish our hearts so that we will be found blameless will be found blameless before God at His Son's return. That's the goal. That when the Lord returns and we stand before our Creator, we stand before our Father, we stand before our Redeemer and our Lord and King and Savior, and we stand before the Holy Spirit, they find us blameless. That's what sanctification is all about. A process of us growing in this and increasing in all aspects of our behavior. So that what is seen is holiness. As depicted there in Zechariah chapter 3. Where the filthy garments have been taken off and we've been, we've been adorned with these holy fest, you know, uh, festive garments. So that we can serve in the courts of heaven. God can do that. God is able, He is able to sanctify us entirely. Look over in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Notice those two verses very quickly. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Paul is kind of wrapping up this letter to the church in that city. Reminding those Christians about their calling as well. And he says to them, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. But look again what it says. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May all your behavior, may our behavior be holy completely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete 
without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, where, where he's reminding the saints, okay, God is sanctifying you and he, and he wants to sanctify you totally, completely, entirely. Early on, he talked about you know, sanctification. And there in the fourth chapter, verse 7, he says, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. That's what God has called us for. Our purpose in this life is to be saints. Saints by calling, as the Corinthians are addressed. Now, he does not do this without the truth. He doesn't sanctify us without the word of truth. That truth which discerns and divides between good and evil. If you're going to sanctify something, you've got to make some judgments. You've got to make some discernment, some decisions. And the word of truth is used to do that. It is what divides and discerns between what's righteous and what's unrighteous. Between what's light and what's darkness. But God can do that. God, who is the God of peace, can sanctify you and me entirely by that truth. And he will. In verse 24, he says, Faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. We often you refer to the faithfulness of God described in 1 John, the first epistle of John, chapter 1, when talking about the promise and the assurance that we, when we as his children and as his, his saints to return to him, confess our sins to him. He is faithful to cleanse us and forgive us of our sins. So we talk about the faithfulness of God and that aspect of our life. But also God is faithful to bring about what he says he will do. God is faithful in sanctifying us. He can and he does and he will accomplish this work of setting us apart. Of, of making us holy. And he says, and you will be found blameless at the Lord's return. For he has sanctified us to be a holy priesthood. He has sanctified us to be a holy nation. You're familiar with the passage found in 1 Peter chapter 1, made reference to that earlier. But in 1, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, you also, talking about those who are in Christ Jesus, you also, as living stones, are being built together. There's a process. There's a building project in place here. He says, you are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. God sanctifies us and separates us from our sin calling us out of darkness and out of the world so that we can be a holy priesthood as seen in the vision of Joshua in Zechariah 3. But also to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He makes mention of this again in verse 9 of the same chapter. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation 
a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God chose you in Christ Jesus. God chose you in Christ Jesus and chose me in Christ for himself. God did this for himself so that you and we could be his special possession. So we can be his sacred vessels. What an honor that is. What a privilege it is. But this honor and privilege of belonging to God through Christ carries with it some God-fearing responsibilities, though. And here in the context of 1 Peter chapter 2, some of those responsibilities are addressed. And so it talks about, you know, acceptable sacrifices and acceptable worship as a sanctified people called to be a holy priesthood and a holy nation, acceptable reverence of God, acceptable sacrifices, acceptable worship, separate us, set us apart as the sanctified from the world. From those who engage in vain worship. From those who follow ungodly philosophies and adhere and keep the traditions of men. When we offer what is acceptable, when we sacrifice what is acceptable, when we worship what is in an acceptable manner, then we are manifesting the sanctification that we have been called to implement. The one who's called you and me out of darkness and into his light. I like the expression there in verse 9 when it says marvelous light. Into his a marvelous light. This amazing, glorious, radiant light that we are part of now because of what he's done through his son Jesus, our Savior and Lord. This one who's called us out of, out of darkness into light, he is to be exalted. He is to be lifted up by our worship and by the offerings that we, we make before him. And so we need to increase in that sense. Yes, we need to increase our spiritual sacrifices. And we need to increase our praises of our God and Father. And we need to increase our proclamation of His excellencies. Is there room for me to increase my sanctification? Yes, there is. It's a growth process. It's a maturing process. We were initially sanctified at baptism. But then on, we are to grow in that. So that God can sanctify us entirely. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It talks about how the Lord Jesus Christ calls Christians to excel still more. And in the context, it goes on then to talk about excelling more in the area of our moral sanctification. Not just in the sense of we are a priesthood who are to be offering acceptable spiritual sacrifices and acceptable spiritual worship to Him, but also even in our morality. The life that we live day by day in the community, in this world, we are to excel still more in that as well. 
In the first six verses of the fourth chapter, he says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. And so he's not saying they're, all, they're doing everything wrong here. No, he said, no, you, know, you are to be commended for all the right things you're doing. You're to be commended for all the good things you're doing. He said, and so, yes, you, you have been walking and pleasing God. But don't stop now. Excel still more. And then goes on to expound on that a little bit in this chapter when he says, For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each one of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. You know, what we do in our bodies or what we do with our bodies matters. It does matter what a man does with his body to God. He created it, and he gives it life, and he sustains it. And God is concerned that man used that blessing correctly. And so we are told that you know, God, for example, did not create the body for sex immorality. He did not create it for fornication. And to reject this, look in verse 8 of the same chapter of 1 Thessalonians. As you continue reading in the context, he says, So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you to reject the subject of moral sanctification is to reject God and so today all the condoning and the acceptance all the practice and promoting of fornication and of adultery of homosexuality of transgenderism all of that is idolatry it's all idolatry why is that? Because it is, it is the worship of one's own flesh. That's what it is. It is man bowing to his own flesh and not listening to his creator. And God says it matters what you do with your body. And so he says you are to abstain from sexual immorality. That's God's will. Stay away from it. Don't do this. Don't practice this kind of behavior. But that's not all. For over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, not only do we need to abstain from engaging in any kind of sexual immorality, but also we are called as God's people, as God's priest, and as God's saints, we are called to reprove it. Or even to expose it. New American Standard Version uses that rendering. In chapter 5, Ephesians, he says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And sexual morality is in that list of the deeds of unfruitful darkness. He says, Don't 
participate in it, but instead even expose them or reprove it. God's will is to abstain from sexual right. Why is that? Because you are his saint. Moral sanctification is, pro- is part of this whole process of growing and increasing as a holy, sacred vessel to the glory of God. But abstinence is only a half of the equation. Abstinence is only a half of that sanctification because we need to know the right way. We need to know the right way to utilize our sanctified body for God. Interesting to me when you go back to, you know, you know, there in 1 Thessalonians and look there in chapter 4. When describing the worldly way, the Gentile way, which we're told, do not be like them. You know, don't engage in such lustful passions and deeds. You know, he says, who do not know God. Those who know God don't do this, but what do they do? When you know God, how do you behave? Well, you don't behave by engaging in the lustful passions and engaging all the sensuality that is rampant in our culture today. But it does come with the idea that you're going to sanctify your thoughts. Leland touched on this a bit this morning already. The idea, okay, if you, when you know God and you know that you know, you've been called to moral sanctification, that means you're going to sanctify, you're going to set apart your thoughts with purpose and with determination so that you think about the right stuff and you think about the pure things and you, and you dwell on those things that are praiseworthy because where your heart is or what you think about, what results? Generally, what we think about is what we become. What we dwell on is what we do. And so we need to be sanctifying our thoughts. As well as our words. We need to sanctify our words. Speak the truth in love. Build up others with our conversation. Bless and do not curse. As we are taught in James 3. When talking about how difficult it is to bridle the tongue. Be one who speaks blessing. And not cursing. That's part of sanctifying your body. And using your body, our bodies, in a moral manner that glorifies God. In the way that God has created us. To think, and to speak, and to act. Sanctify, sanctify your entertainment. Do not participate. Do not commune with what God does not approve of. Don't go there. You are the salt. You are the light of wholesomeness, of sacredness, of sanctification. As well as your clothing. Sanctify your wardrobe. Instead of advertising and accentuating your body in a sensual way with the various attire that's available today in our modern world, respect yourself and respect others enough to profess godliness. Profess holiness. We are called to be saints. It's not an easy task. But God is able to do it. He can accomplish that in you. 
But we have to be willing every day to listen, to heed, to follow, to do what his will and his word calls us to do. And he says, excel all the more. Excel all the more in your sanctification. And as Paul writes there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, may the God of peace sanctify you entirely, through and through, totally and completely, to his glory, so that you and I together can stand before him on that judgment day, on that great and glorious day, we may stand before him blameless, and that Satan has nothing to accuse us of. Because we stand before God, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, a sacred vessel to His glory. Are you one of God's saints? Are you? Have you obeyed His gospel? If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God, you believe that with all your heart. You know it. And you're convicted of that truth. But you've not obeyed Him by faith. Then you're not one of His saints. You're not numbered among His people. But you can be. That's why Jesus came. To call you to be a saint. And a glory to God. You believe Jesus to be the Christ. Why not today confess your faith with your mouth before others unashamedly, repent of your sins, and be baptized into Jesus Christ? We'll be glad and joyful to assist you in that submission to the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you are a Christian, and if there's sin in your life that you've not repented of, you've not prayed to your Father about and turned from, if we can assist you in that restoration, to pray with you, to pray for you. We invite you as well, because we all have been called to be saints. Whatever your spiritual need may be, please come now while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.